All right, good evening and uh, welcome to another discipleship class. This is class number eight. And tonight we're going to be talking about the uh, word of reconciliation. And that's just a kind of a fancy title. But um, I say this about a handful of classes. Uh, some I say they are one of my, you know, among my favorite classes to teach because they're among just, I think, there's a lot of reasons why I would say class is, is my favorite, and, and one of those reasons is because of the way the content of the class or the things that we teach on in the class that have been revealed to me by the Lord through the Word of God, the impact that they've had and the difference that they've made in my own life personally. And, um, and then there are other reasons why you know it's like one of my favorite subjects or one of my favorite classes. And um, t tonight, as we talk about the Word of God and the role that it plays in, for that matter, life on earth, but uh, specifically in our individual lives, and then the role that it plays in discipleship, both our individual personal growth and development, but then in our effectiveness in ministry. Um, I'll repeat this at some point. It may be next class before we get to it, but I'll, I'll say it again here. In Ephesians 6, we see, for an example, you know, the, the, the armor uh, that's described, and we have all these different pieces of, of armor, uh, beautifully, you know, descriptive. Uh, but every piece of that armor is um, defensive in nature. There's only one offensive weapon, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And there's only, you know, one reason why we have been given one offensive weapon, and it's because it's the only weapon that we need. And, and that ought to tell you something uh, right there, that if we're equipped with the Word of God, there is no victory that we can't win and overcome. And so I'm real excited about stirring you up uh, even more than perhaps you already are about the importance of God's Word, the power in God's Word, um, the effectiveness of God's Word, and, uh, and how it uh, works both in our lives and in the lives of those that God would put in our paths to minister to. So... But anyway, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for those who are in the room. Uh, Lord, uh, I'm well aware that for some it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great effort uh, to be here, uh, leaving work, maybe trying to cut out even a little early to get here, uh, some uh, snacking a little bit because it'll be later tonight before they can eat supper and things of this nature. But Lord, you see all of that. You, you, you recognize, Lord, what people are uh, putting in second place so they can put you in first place, Lord, during this time. And I thank you, Father, for um, honoring and rewarding even. Your word says you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Um, Father, thank you for all those joining us online, uh, both here locally and, and, Lord, in other places around the world. We just give a shout out to all our brothers and sisters who um, have participated in this class in the past. I know some, Lord, that Faithfully watch every Wednesday, Lord, that this is their sixth, seventh, eighth time to go through the class. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in these men's and women's lives and what you're doing through their lives. Father, we come to this all-important, pivotal class tonight um, where we learn about your word, about the power of your word, uh, about the, nece the necessity of your word, Lord, uh, in our lives. And I thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention hear and receive and benefit from it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. All right. So the title of last week's class, class seven was 
the ministry of reconciliation. And we find that, of course, in 2 Corinthians 5. We've been through those verses at least three times now, so I'm not going to uh, go back through them all again. Um, we will, in a moment, look at the verse that specifically mentions uh, a couple of verses that specifically mention the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. And we'll uh, explain what that has to do with um, the ministry of reconciliation and how those two uh, coordinate together. Um, but let's go back, and this was one of our last verses from Colossians uh, 1 and uh, 19 uh, last week. And uh, it says... Uh, it says this, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. And of course, this is speaking of Jesus. And by Him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself. So Himself here would be God the Father. By Him, by Jesus. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Now, remember we talked about uh, enmity and how enmity is uh, a spectrum of... Um, you know, that would begin with just a difference of, a, of opinion, a simple disagreement about, you know, whether something's lavender or blush. You know, <laughs> you know it could be something very minor like that, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which would be violent hatred. Um, so enmity in and of itself, E-N-M-I-T-Y, it's the uh, opposite of harmony. And, of course, God created us to be in harmony uh, with himself. And, um, and so it's very important to note that Jesus has now made peace with God possible for all mankind through the blood of His cross. Because His blood did what? It, it removed the enmity uh, that separated us um, from God. All right. So let's keep going here. Verse uh, 21. And you, so let's personalize it, okay, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. So let me come back on camera here for those watching online. I want you to pay very close attention to the tenses of the verbs when you read the Bible. Um, when we make coffee, we pour clear water into the top of a coffee pot, or it's one way of making coffee, right? So uh, you pour clear water in, but when the coffee passes through the grounds, it lands into the pot as something different than what initially came in, right? And sometimes our preconceived ideas, the filters of our experiences, um, we're going to talk some in the sermon tonight uh, here at Heritage uh, about you know, traditions and speculations and, and philosophies, you know, human reasoning. And, and these things sometimes filter the way we hear the Word. So the Word of God you know, comes from God to us in its pure form. But if we're not careful, it'll pass through the filter of our minds and land in our hearts as something completely different or somehow altered um, from what God originally said. And a lot of the past tenses in the Scriptures, religiously minded people um, translate into uh, future tenses. In other words, it, it, it does something you know, wanky with the tense. So, for example, um, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice, has blessed, past tense, past completed work. Yet, a lot of people hear that, you know, just hoping and praying that God will one day bless us. No, he's, He has blessed you with some, most, part, no, every, every, okay. He has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice again the tense. And so here it says, yet now, yet now, 
I'll put it back up on the screen. Yet now he has reconciled. So if you've been born again, you are currently in a state of reconciliation with God. Um, now, if you read it tomorrow, what will it say? Will it say yesterday I was? No, it'll say now again. If you read it 10 years from today, it'll say now again. Um, and so now he has reconciled um, us to himself in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. In future classes, we'll break down exactly what it means to be presented to God holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Now, I'm not, I don't want to get too far into this because it's a lot that needs to be put in place first for you to really be able to, to lay hold of these truths. Um, but, you know, we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. And God sees you as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Okay, that's how He sees you. And the more you see yourself the way He sees you, that's another, that's that second branch. Remember, we've talked these two branches of reconciliation. That's that second branch of reconciliation where you see yourself as God sees you. And the more you see yourself the way God sees you, the more you're going to live your life in agreement and harmony with who He made you the day He made you a new creation. So we talked about these two primary divisions of the ministry of reconciliation. And just to remind you, this is the ministry that every born-again believer has been given. You've been reconciled to God and have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we said that it is the new birth and that involves removing enmity between an individual and God. So when you were born again, the enmity that separated you from God was removed because Jesus made peace with God on your behalf, made peace with God on your behalf. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. That's why Paul says when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified with him. Okay. So Jesus paid in full for every sin you ever will commit, ever have committed, ever think about committing. Jesus has already paid for it so that your sin will no longer separate you from God. So we see then that new birth removes the enmity between an individual and God. And then discipleship is the second branch, and it removes the enmity within a person. And that enmity is specifically between their soul and their born-again spirit. So we will uh, bring this back up again when we teach on spirit, soul, and body. But just let me remind you one more time, you are a spirit you have a soul, you live in a body. And your spirit is the real you. That's the part of you that was born again. If you've been born again, and I believe every person in this room has been, okay? I, I pray every person watching me online has been. But if you've been born again, then, then the, the old spirit that once was in you was buried in an unmarked grave, and he put a new spirit in you. But your soul was not born again. And your flesh, body, is no different than, you know, the guy that lives three apartments down from you that, you know, doesn't even believe there is a God. Okay. So it's your spirit. Remember, we talked about this when we looked uh, in, in John 3. Uh, must be born again. And, and Nicodemus, how can a man when he's full grown go back into his mother's womb and be born? Because he was, he was looking at it from a flesh-only, flesh-first, one-dimensional perspective. So it's your spirit that's been born again. That's the part that now has been reconciled to God. It's become one with God. 
Uh, literally, is what the Bible teaches. But then this, this part of you, your soul, is the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. It's your mind, emotions, and your will, your choices, okay? Um, this part of us is a work in progress. And the more we think in agreement with God and what He's already done in our born-again spirit, the more that will be uh, displayed, expressed, experienced, and enjoyed in our outward life reality. Am I going too fast for you? That's some really, really important stuff there. We'll, we'll again, we'll circle back around to this and spend a great deal of time on it. So we, we illustrate it with this drawing here. It's a very basic drawing, but I just try to emphasize the ministry of reconciliation, two branches, two divisions, um, the new birth, and discipleship. Now, we looked last week at different verses that mention both of those branches. I'm going to I'm not going to review those. I had them in my notes to review them, but let's, um, let's, let's go back, though, uh, to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. And it says, now, there's that word again, right? Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. So paying attention to the, to the tenses. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you have any idea how many people live their whole life having been given the ministry of reconciliation and have never even heard the phrase? <laughs> you've been born again, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Um, I'm not, listen, there are a couple of subjects that I sometimes, and I've got the victory over it, but there are a couple of very important subjects that I sometimes struggle uh, teaching on. One of those where we began a series on here at Sunday morning is giving and receiving and the importance of giving and receiving, and my commitment is uh, out of uh, the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, uh, where Paul said, if I bring this up, it's not because I'm trying to get a gift from you, it's because I'm trying to see your, your resources increase. And so um, there's no hidden motive when I teach on giving and receiving. The other one is, and you know, where you go to church and who you choose as your pastor now, the second subject, again, is the importance of a pastor. And you, so you can see how some would interpret any teaching from me on those two subjects could appear to be self-serving. I only have one motive, one agenda, glorify God by helping you, okay? Uh, but where you go to church and who you allow to speak into your life is among the most important choices you will ever make in your life, okay? I cannot exaggerate the importance of, of that decision because what you believe matters and so much of what we believe and know uh, comes from God to us through those that he's put in our lives uh, to, to speak his truth, uh, a timely word, amen, uh, to us, a, a word in due season as the Bible says. So, um, you know, please understand that um, just because so let's go back to the, the, the point that kind of sparked that little uh, side journey. Uh, folks that born again when they were nine years old, born and raised and raised grandchildren, great-grandchildren in a church, then buried in that church, right? Uh, went to heaven, and, and the various preachers and pastors they had over the years never even explained to them that they were called by God to do the work of the ministry and had already been given the ministry of reconciliation. So these things... Now, and listen, there's some, we, I'm not trying to say that it, it all comes back to the, to the preacher's pastor uh, 
uh, responsibility either. We have a responsibility to, to read and search out the scriptures for ourselves. Amen? Okay. Um, but these things are important. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we mentioned in the opening that in the armor listed for us in Ephesians 6, you have all the defensive pieces and then the one offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it's the only offensive weapon we've been given because it's the only offensive weapon that we need. So when we talk about being effective in the ministry of reconciliation, okay, I said some of this in the opening uh, comments of our very first class. I know some of you were not here for that. Some of you were. But let me remind you again. Okay, I can't make you something you already are. Are you following me? Uh, I, I, I can't make you a minister of reconciliation because if you've been born again, you've already been made that. So coming to discipleship class is not about becoming something that you're not. It's about discovering who you already are in Christ, what you've already been given in Christ, and to be equipped to be more effective in what it is that he's called you to do in this life. So you're a minister of reconciliation if you've been born again. There's no, there's no such thing as a born-again man or woman who has not been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, there are a lot of folks who don't know anything about it. There are some folks who know about it but aren't really interested. There are some folks who are really interested but they're not very effective. Okay, And the effectiveness of a minister of reconciliation is directly related to the skillfulness that man or woman has where the Word of God is concerned. And we'll get to some of that wording because every word that I just said to you, even the, especially the word skillfulness, uh, is extremely important. It's, it's, Bible knowledge is good, but you can know a lot about the Bible and still be a spiritual baby. You can know a lot about the Bible and not even be saved. Okay, um, So to be effective in ministry, uh, we're talking about being skillful with the Word of God, and that's a whole different uh, discussion, and we'll get to it soon enough, all right? So notice then that he says, committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, the word of reconciliation is just a, a beautiful, fancy, poetic way of saying the word of God. The word of God, the Bible that you have in front of you right now, that is God's word of reconciliation. And remember, when we speak his word to other people, it's as if God himself is speaking to those individuals through us. And uh, it's one of the most uh, exciting and rewarding things that you could ever participate in uh, in your life. Now, um, I have a, a note in, in my notes to emphasize the importance of the Word of God in both branches of the ministry of reconciliation. And so before we go any further, let's, let's go back to that. Um, and I think you probably already got it by now, but that's, there's your two branches. And we see that in order for a man or a woman to be born again, they need to hear the Word of God. Um, how, how can they believe on him in whom they've never heard? So they've got to hear the word of God. And when I say hear the word of God, um, you can communicate the word of God to someone without ever speaking the king's English. Okay, So, so keep that in mind. Uh, telling somebody about Jesus and telling somebody what Jesus has done for you in your life personally um, is sharing with them the word of God, sharing with, with them that Jesus born of a virgin, the simple gospel message. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died having committed no sin, was buried three days later, was raised from the dead by the power of God, 
and then ascended to the right hand of God and promised to return to this earth uh, in the future. Amen. That's the gospel message. And the Bible says that within that message, there is the, the um, power of God unto salvation. And so when we share that word with people, okay, this is how a man or woman gets saved. But notice now, as a minister of reconciliation, functioning in as a soul winner or as, as you know, someone getting people born again, uh, you can't do that effectively. You can't do it effectively without the Word of God. But with the Word of God, if you can just tell them the story, right? You can just tell them the story. I, I, sometimes I have, and don't, don't misunderstand me. If, if you ever feel led to do this, don't do it, okay? But sometimes, you know, Folks will bring people to me and say, uh, this person wants to get saved. I've told, I've told them about Jesus. And, you know, but, but in other words, they don't feel like they can take that next step and, and pray with somebody or share with somebody. You can. Okay? It doesn't have to be a pastor or a preacher or someone in fivefold ministry. You can absolutely lead someone uh, to Jesus all by yourself with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, uh, of course, in you, working through you. And then we see the Word of God and its role in discipleship. Uh, the ministry of reconciliation as it plays out in removing the enmity between our thinking, how we think and see ourselves versus uh, how we really are. And um, <clears throat> so think, think with me for a moment. I used the example last week of you know, bringing into alignment with, bringing into agreement with, and we talked about reconciling a checkbook where you take what you think you have as far as money is concerned and you bring it into alignment with the statement from the bank that tells the truth about what you really have, okay? So reconciliation then requires a standard for us to be reconciled to. If you never had the statement from the bank that said, okay, this is how much you really have, this is what you've really spent, this is how much you really deposited, this is where it went, this is when it was done, all these other things. Apart from that, it's just a, you know, a guessing game. Who knows? I mean, I guess you could call them and you know, say, hey, can somebody tell me how much money I really have? I, I've, I've lost track. I, I know I went to the ATM a few times. I never wrote it down. I know that I was in a hurry uh, at the gas station one day and paid with my debit card, and I didn't write that down. And and uh, can somebody help me? You know, so, well, I'm sorry, sir. We really don't know either. You know, well, again, that, see, that don't, that don't help us. So, so reconciliation requires a standard to be reconciled to. So a statement from the bank um, is that standard in the, in the uh, you know, example of our checkbook. And we uh, come into agreement and alignment with that standard. And that is uh, what it means to reconcile a checkbook. So standard then, let's talk about this for a moment. Standard, uh, it should say speaks of, speaks of the level, the gauge, the measure, the model, the example, the pattern, the benchmark, the archetype. I, mean, I could just, you know, we could go on and on and on as to what a standard is, right? Um, so we live in a world where the standards are constantly changing. Have y'all figured that out by now? Um, and, you know, people are trying to, uh, you know, come into alignment with uh, the, the, the popular opinions of the day, so forth and so on. Well, that's a dangerous way to live our lives. So when we talk about the importance of the Word of God as it relates to the branch of the ministry of reconciliation known as discipleship, we see that the Word of God then becomes that standard to which we are uh, bringing ourselves into alignment, into agreement with. Now, 
Um, sin, the word sin in the original language, and by the way, this is the Greek language, uh, is it, it's the word hamartia. That's the transliteration of the word that we see so often in the New Testament translated into our English word sin. And it means to miss the mark, to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. If we begin to understand sin as anything that carries us away from the full scope and true end of, of, of one's life, then it, it helps, I think, you know, put that in the right perspective for us. This is why the Bible says things like, if you know to do good and don't do it, it's sin. Here's a really big one, right? This is why we need a Savior, guys, okay? Uh, if it's not of faith, it's sin. Because, see, anything that's not of faith is carrying you away from uh, the full scope and true end of your life. It's it, anything, if you know to do good and don't do it, that means uh, you're not moving towards or progressing in the fulfillment of the uh, full scope and true end of your life. But think about it now. If there is a mark to miss, if there's a mark to miss, that certainly implies that there's what? A mark to hit. In, in other words, if we can miss the standard, that means there is a standard. If, there is a, if we can miss the target, that means there is a target. So what is the target and, and, and where can we find it and how do we know if we're measuring up to it? See, it's, it's, it's back to the whole, you know, I have no idea how much money I have because I don't have a bank statement. Well, this is where people who do not believe in God, who do not believe in the um, uh, infallibility, that's just a fancy way of saying that the Word of God is, is God's Word. People who don't believe that, who don't accept that, who don't recognize the Word of God as that, they're left in this awkward position of trying to figure these things out for themselves. They're, they're in this awkward position of just what I call making their life up as they go along. Now, listen, you, you may or may not like the standard, the mark that God has spelled out for us um, in His Word, but He's God. Amen. And every word He's ever spoken to you, about you, uh, uh, has been with your best interest in mind. He has no hidden agenda. He never tries to just get you to do something to see if, if, if you know, ha-ha made you do it. No. Everything, there's, there's strategy behind, there's purpose behind every commandment, um, uh, every promise, every word God has ever spoken to you, He has done so with your best interest in mind. Now, obviously, Satan doesn't want us to know the standards of God. He doesn't want us to know what the Word of God uh, has to say about our lives and the promises that God has made uh, to us. Jesus said something in John chapter 17. Uh, he was praying to his Father uh, for you and me, actually, and he said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And to be sanctified means to be set apart from uh, something. Well, in, in the case of Scripture, Jesus, God, wants us to be set apart from the negative, from the darkness, from the evil, from the death, but to be set apart unto him set apart from one thing to another. And notice that it's God's Word that sets us apart. It's God's Word that sets us apart. So all the things that Satan wants to get us caught up in and chasing our tails over and all this other stuff are things that would in the end cause us to miss the full scope and true end of our lives. But the Word of God is the one thing that will set us apart from all of those distractions, all of those deceptions, 
uh, unto uh, God's uh, will and plan and purposes for us. Now, I've mentioned this already, but we cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. We cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. And as we've already said, we proclaim the word of God so that men can be saved. But when we talk about, you know, discipling folks, it's, it's helping them see in the word of God where they're thinking. And I use this as kind of my go-to example. There's, there's a thousand examples, I guess, in the scriptures. Um, the Bible is very clear that when you were born again, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's something you became. It's, not, it's more than even something you were given. It's something that you became in the same way that when I was born uh, physically, I was born with brown eyes. I, you know, I, I didn't like buy these brown eyes. I wasn't like, given these brown eyes, so to speak. I was born with them. And so when you were born again, you were born again righteous. It's, it's who you are. It's who you became. One of the many things you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so that's, that's in your born again spirit, right? That's who you are. That's why you're holy and above reproach and blameless in his sight. It's because he's made you right uh, before him in his eyes. Okay, now stay with me. That's not just semantics. That's not just cooking the books. That's, your tr- that's who you truly are. You're born again spirit, all right? But now... If the righteousness that you've become is ever going to make its way into your outward life reality, your expression of life, and, and you actually enjoy this, okay, notice it's got to come from the inside of you to the out, which means it's, it's got to come through your soul. It's got, to, it's got to pass through your thinking. And what happens with a lot of folks is their thinking is out of alignment. God says you're righteous, and you say, well, I'm not righteous. You didn't see what I did yesterday. God says you're free, and you're going, free? I'm not free you only knew what I was thinking about this morning. So, see, our, our, our agreement and our alignment uh, is, is out of sync, and that's enmity. Remember now, to be carnally minded is death, but because the carnal mind is enmity against God. To be carnally minded means you're born again, but you still think, for the most part, like somebody who's not been. This is, the, this is what it means to be carnally minded, and it's enmity. So, the salvation removes the enmity that separates you from God. It does it instantly and forever. But then we've still got this enmity inside of us, right? This, these, these crazy things that we still think that do not agree with the statement of truth, also known as the Word of God uh, as He has spoken it to us concerning our lives and existence. Are you still with me? That's uh, some really, really important stuff, all right? So um, there are some verses that I mentioned um, let me just run through them real quick, like, okay? Uh, not, not because they're, they're not important, but just as it relates to what we're covering tonight. But in Mark 16, 15 through 16, And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So, again, notice this is the ministry of reconciliation as it uh, applies to that first branch of uh, the new birth, uh, presenting the gospel message to people so they can hear it, believe it, call upon the name of the Lord, and be saved. And then I mentioned this one, Romans 1 and 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. But then we come to this one. Am I going too fast for you? Romans 10, 13 and 14. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
Okay. Now, in this case, preacher and pastor would, would not be the same thing. One who preaches is one who proclaims. Okay. So when, when you proclaim or, you know, or, or communicate to someone, let's, I'm not trying to water this down, but I'm just trying to help you connect with the, with the meaning. I think this is one of the reasons so many folks, oh, I never changed it. Thank you, Joel. I was wondering what, there you go, brother. All right, help me. Thank you. Um, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? I mentioned this in the, in the Sunday morning service here at Heritage. But um, you know, we've had different groups that have been sent out from this church uh, uh, over the years, missions trips. And one of the things that so amazed them uh, when they you know, came back from that is actually meeting people alive on planet Earth who have never heard the name of Jesus a single time. So that's hard for us to comprehend. Hard for us to comprehend. One specific story, um, they were handing out these little leaflets inviting folks to a, 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 an open-air meeting, and there was a picture of John Smithwick, uh, who's an international evangelist, on the back of, of that, and they were ta- telling this person about Jesus, and they turned it over and they said, is that him right there? Literally, I don't know who Jesus is. Okay, So how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? You know, you, before you call on him, you've got to believe in him. Before you believe in him, you've got to hear about him, right? And then before you hear about him, somebody's got to tell you about him. But one of the things that I think the devil never wants the body of Christ to really connect with is that we, we can't save a person, but when we tell somebody about what Jesus has done for them, okay, notice what he says in Romans 1.16, the power of God to salvation is in this gospel message. Gospel means good news. Gospel means good news. So do not make the mistake of prejudging someone, prejudiced, right, of prejudging someone, you know, it's like, well, that person would never want to hear about Jesus. That person would never want to, <laughs> you know. Um, Jesse Duplantis, you know, talks about um, all the different uh, hotel bars and things. He, he was a, a, a rock and roll musician and singer before he came to Jesus. And he would be in some of these really uh, fancy, elaborate places, and there would be uh, Christian conventions going on there. And, of course, you know, he had the long hair and the hippie look and this, you know, just a wild man, you know. And he, rem- he would remember passing those people, like, in the corridors and stuff, and um, just desperate, miserable, looking for God, didn't know how to find him. And not a single one of, them, one of those people ever said anything to him about the Lord. Share an elevator with him, never said anything to him about it. And, and I'm sure the mistake that a lot of people were making is they looked at him and they said, nah, he's, he wouldn't be interested. So... We, we can't, remember, we regard no person according to their outward appearance. But the, the power of God to salvation is contained within the message. Our responsibility is to tell them, right? Jesus said, go and tell them. And those who hear it and believe it will be saved. Those who hear it and don't will be condemned. But the power for a man or woman to receive this gift of salvation is within the message itself, right? Now, this may not be good English, but it's, it's good doctrine, okay? Discipleship and spiritual growth are about our doing coming into alignment with our being, all right? In other words, you've got who you be and what you do. And to, to grow and develop in the things of God is, you know, 
when your outward expression of doing is coming into alignment and agreement with your inward reality of being, right? But again, situated in between those two is your thinking. And so if you're ever going to live like the person you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, you're going to have to think like that person. And that's the part we said last week. I think a couple of you had questions about that last week. That's the part that is a process. It's progressive. Salvation is, is instantaneous as it relates to your born-again spirit. But discipleship, that second branch of the ministry of reconciliation, it represents a process um, your mind being renewed, as it mentions, as it says in, uh, in Hebrews 12 and 2, that, that is an ongoing process. Uh, and, and that process can, can go at an accelerated rate if you're willing to cooperate with God and with the Word of God, or it can go at a snail's pace or not at all. You know, that's why the Bible speaks of these people who've been born again for years and years and years, but they're still as spiritual babes. Now, this keeps jumping up in my spirit. I usually save it for a little later, but I just let me go ahead and get it out now, okay? Some of you have heard me say this before, um, but <clears throat> the best advice I could ever give anybody, and it's the best advice you can ever give anybody, uh, is this. Are you ready? Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. I want to say that about 17 more times, okay? Agree with God. And agree with him quickly. Uh, every second of, of, of misery and suffering on this earth can be traced back to people being in disagreement with God. Okay, and it started with the Garden of Eden when the curse came. Um, and it's it's not that God is just being stubborn or stick in the mud. It's just that He's the only person that you will ever agree with who's never been wrong. So you know if if if. If I'm saying, Stephanie, you need to agree with me, and Stephanie's going, no, Pastor Mark, you need to agree with me. Well, there's a chance that she's right and I'm wrong. There's a chance that I'm right and she's wrong. There's a chance that both of us are a little bit right and both of us are a little bit wrong. Okay? But when it comes to agreeing with God and agreeing with Him quickly, He's never been wrong. He's always right. He's that statement of truth. As I mentioned before, there's been many times that I balanced a checkbook that I was convinced the bank had made a mistake. But every single time I've ever thought that, guess what? Amen. They had not made a mistake. And there have been a couple of mistakes, but anyway. But they, the bank caught them before I did. So thank God for that, okay? Now, <laughs> say it loud. And there's no one in the history of humankind that has ever done that consistently and regretted it. I'm just telling you. There have been times that I have struggled with it. There's been times when I've said, no, nah, I won't keep, you know. But um, never have I agreed with him consistently and wished I hadn't. 
It's, it's, you know, and so I guess, you know, with this many years of uh, Pam and I striving, I'm not saying we always get it right, but Pam and I, by the way, that's my darling wife, Pam, in the back, if you guys wonder who that was. Um, you know, bringing the way we raise our children, the way we manage our money, the way we, you know, all these different facets of our lives, the way we, uh, you know, approach our marriage, you know, all of these things, right? Uh, doing it according to the Word of God uh, is, um, is, is, a, is a beautiful, powerful thing. And um, I'm not making this up because she said that, but here literally are the next verses. This is where I was going next, okay? Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. I'm sorry, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Pay close attention to the capital W's. Because as uh, Pam just said, he is his word. And we'll explain what that means here in just a moment. I want to give you another verse, though, that piggybacks onto this same point. It's a little later in the chapter, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Okay, now... When he says that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, if you notice, John 1 and verse 1 begins almost, well, not almost, it begins identically as Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we say, in the beginning was the Word. So, I know a lot of people probably understand this, but just to make sure... Jesus is the uncreated, eternal Son of God. He has always been and He always will be. We celebrate His birth at Christmas time, but that is not, when, that is not the celebration of His origin. He is without origin. Okay? We celebrate at Christmas time Him coming to this earth as a man. Right? And there's a big difference there. And John is uh, poetically and beautifully by the Holy Spirit explaining to us that Jesus is the Word of God, He's the Word made flesh, and He was the Word in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say in John chapter 1 that nothing that was made was made without Him. Okay, So Jesus was, was there uh, at creation with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we will talk about Trinity in some classes to come, uh, what it means to three yet one God, and how those three work together in perfect harmony and union. When it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, this is speaking of the eternal, uncreated Son of God becoming a man, becoming flesh, and living and breathing among us. And we beheld His glory, meaning we saw Him with our eyes. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let's try to, um, let's try to bring this very beautiful, lofty concept down to a level that we can... Uh, grasp it and understand it. Not watering it down, not minimizing it, but explaining it in a way that'll help you grab hold of it and, and, and be elevated by it, okay? When it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, let's start here. Words express thoughts. So the only way someone can know what you're thinking is if you take those thoughts, package them in words, and communicate uh, those words to them. Amen? Am I right about this? Okay. So, Jesus, the Word made flesh, means that He is, are you ready? He is a living, breathing expression of the divine intelligence or the divine mind. 
We, we have the Word of God in the sense that God has spoken through the prophets to His people for generations. But Hebrews 1 says that that was the way God communicated to the fathers in times past. Now, present tense, He is speaking to us through the person of His Son. Through the person of His Son. So Jesus then, being the Word made flesh, means He is a living, breathing expression of the divine intelligence. So what does that mean? We're going to hit it from a couple of different angles. But first of all, it means if you want to know what God thinks and how He thinks, how He looks at things, um, what's His take on things, then look at and look closely at the life of Jesus. Look at and look closely at the life of Jesus. Now, some of you may be familiar with a sister. Uh, her name is Marilyn Hickey. She is an international minister and Bible teacher uh, and is well, well known in, in a lot of circles, okay? But in the early days of her walk with the Lord, she had met the Lord. She had had a wonderful encounter and experience with Him. And she was trying to figure out, you know, what to do next. And so she went to the Lord with a simple question. She said, where can I find you? Just tell me where I can find you, and, and that's where I'll go. She said, can I find you in the Catholic Church, or is it the Baptist Church, or is it the Lutheran Church, or is it the Methodist Church? Just tell me where I can find you, and that's where I will go. All right. Now, this is what the Lord told her. All right. He told her very simply, you can find me in my word. Okay. You can find me in my word. And that's so very, very important there. And that's what Sister Pam was saying. You can find him in his word. All right. Now, oh, praise God, there's so much here. Um, I'm not going to read all these verses, but if you would like to look at them later, John 18, where Jesus is on trial before Pilate. Um, they, Pilate uh, asked him, what is truth? You remember this conversation, this dialogue? And, um, well, let's just do it. Praise God. I get excited about these things. But um, so Jesus answered he's, to Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate, therefore, said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So there's a, thank you for that. Just give me a wave or something if I forget to put it up there. Okay. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And he said that he, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So there's a few reasons for us looking at this, at this passage. First of all, the question, what is truth? And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a question that a lot of people in this world are asking, either audibly or internally. Um, there's a new phrase, and uh, if, if, if this is you, I'm not trying to get up in your uh, personal space uh, right now, but there's this new phrase that's come out that I, I believe is absolutely from the devil, okay? And it's this phrase, well, that's my truth. Okay, that's my truth. And you've got to be true to yourself. And, and this is how I live, and that's my truth. Well, listen, why would you ever want your truth when you can have his truth? Okay. But Pilate was asking a question that people have asked you know, for generations. 
uh, all the Stoics, all the philosophers, all these folks, they're trying to solve the mysteries of life, understand the riddles of life, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and they're trying to do it without God. They're trying to understand life and, and how to live as a created being by denying their creator and ignoring him. And obviously that uh, will never work. But notice specifically, because you know, it's, it's very easy for us to focus on Jesus' uh, mission you know, as it relates to him going to the cross and dying for our sins. But Jesus came to this earth to accomplish a whole bunch of things. Uh, establish the church. Reveal God the Father to us. Reveal ourselves to us. You know, set this example. And, and so we see that one of the, the underpinnings of all of this was what he says here. For this cause I've come into, this, into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Okay, that I should bear witness to the truth. And um, so let me, uh, praise God, let me just keep going here. Um, th this right here is, is one of my favorite quotes from Dr. Bill Winston. Um, he says, truth is the highest form of reality. Truth is the highest form of reality. To, to, um, to live your life based upon anything less than the truth is to live in an alternative reality or in a reality far short of the one that you were created uh, to live in, okay? Um, how about this one? Uh, John 14 and 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here is uh, another one, Ephesians 4 and 20, where he says, but you have not so learned Christ. Remember, we looked at this passage because that word learned there is uh, the Greek word for discipleship. It's manthano. You've not so manthanoed Christ. Uh, one of my favorite quotes for, am I going too fast? Y'all okay? Everybody good? Sometimes I, I kind of get in this rhythm, you know, and next thing you know, I'm like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 Okay, so amen. Let me, <sighs> deep breath. Everybody good? Yeah? Okay. So how about this? This is one of my favorite quotes from Bill Johnson. Jesus is perfect theology. Man, I wish I had thought of that and said it first. Oh, man, way to go, Holy Ghost and Brother Bill. Amen. Jesus is perfect theology. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. Theo, God, ology, study of, the study of God. And so Jesus is perfect theology. Okay. So give God and His Word the place they deserve in your life. Make His Word your final authority. Allow His Word to have overriding supremacy in every situation. Do you understand overriding supremacy? You know, if, if, you, if you find yourself in a situation, uh, let's say uh, you, a co-worker, and your uh, boss, okay, are all tr trying to figure out how to do something, and you all have three different opinions, and you're trying to figure it out. Um, more than likely, the boss is going to have the overriding supremacy. He's got the final word. And so we need to give God's word that place in our lives. Now, I modified this, and, and part of this has to do, people ask me all the time, well, you know, Pastor, I took that class three or four years ago. I mean, do you think I should take it again? I'm like, well, that's between you and the Lord, but it's not the same class that it was three or four years ago. And he, here is one of those things that, you know, it's, it's what the, how the Lord is, 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 teaching me and showing me things and how I've grown along with these classes, hopefully in Jesus' name. Over the, I have in Jesus' name, amen, over the last 19 years. But this slide used to say the simple, the simple question you should ask 
for every uh, thing that has anything to do with you is what does the word say? But we've, we've added a little bit to that slide this year, okay? The simple questions. There's two questions now. The simple questions you should ask for everything that has anything to do with you. First of all, what does the word say? And then the next one, and that has to do, I mentioned in a conversation before class tonight, the difference kind of, of, of what we do on Wednesday nights in the, in the worship service here at Heritage. And I, and I was trying to explain that by saying, that Wednesday is, is perhaps the, the more cutting edge of, of, of anything. And, and that's, Wednesdays are like, man, this is what God is saying to me right now. You know, and, and so, uh, you know, here, here we go. Um, and part of, a big part of what the Lord is saying to me right now is, is captured in this second question. How did the Word do it? How did the Word do it? And so I'll, I'll give you guys an example of what, we, what I mean by how did the Word do it. Um, the, the, Jesus said for born-again believers, people who hear the gospel and are saved, He said that we would do some, some different things. He said that we would speak with new tongues. He said we'd cast out demons. He said we'd lay our hands on the sick and the sick would recover. Right? Now, what does that mean? And, and so traditional religious belief has so watered that down to casting out demons means um, not allowing evil things on your television. We're going to keep them out. Okay? <laughs> you still with me? <laughs> Speaking with the new tongues means we don't cuss anymore. And laying your hands on the sick and the sick recovering is talking about doctors who perform surgery. Okay? But how did the Word do these things? See, that's the question, right? Not, what does the Word say? What does the Word say? I don't know, maybe I need to make this two slides from now on, all right? But let's, let's, let's start with that one. Anytime you have some situation or issue, some decision to make, whatever in your life, you know, what do we do about this? Where do we go from here? How do I answer that? What do I need to do next? The first question you need to ask is, what does the Word say about this? What does the Word say about it? Man, we will Google. We, we'll go to WebMD. We'll, I mean, we, we, you know, we'll look through and ask people, well, you know, what was it like? Did you know anybody that's been through this? What did they say? How did it work out for them? What did they do? Where, where, where did they go? I said, I'm not saying that those questions maybe don't need to be asked, but it's sad to me that we ask all those questions and things continue to spiral downward until we come to a point where we throw up our hands and say, all that's left for me to do now is pray. Right? So what does the Word say about it? Amen? That's not where we need to end as a last resort. It's where we need to begin. And then how, how did the Word do it? Speaking with new tongues, we, we have a biblical example for what that is all about, right? <laughs> that doesn't mean you should, oh, well, okay, well, I'll cuss then. No, that's not what he, that's not. Amen. That's, that's a given, right? We don't need to speak like that. But... These are the simple questions, but notice how it comes back to, you know, this is how we bring our lives into agreement. This is how we bring our lives into alignment. Amen. You with me? Okay. So how about this, uh, Romans 10 and 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Okay. We'll, we'll cycle back around because this is one verse out of a, a whole section of verses that we need to spend some time with. But 
Now we're talking about the Word of God being near you. And near you could mean, you know, carrying a copy of it in your back pocket, small New Testament, having one in your purse, on your smartphone. Yeah, I mean, we need to keep it close, okay? Uh, I like to keep it close so that if I'm, you know, in a waiting room or something like that, I can pull it out and knock out a few chapters, do a little studying, reading, whatever, meditating. Um, but it, meaning also keep it near you. Don't stray too far from it ever, right? And if you ever do stray from it, then ask the Lord to help you get right back on the path. But then he also says it needs to be in your mouth and in your heart. And, of course, the psalmist talks about this in Psalm 119, hiding his word in your heart that I might not sin against you. Um, uh, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Okay. So keeping the word in your heart, keeping it in your mouth. One way you can keep it in your mouth is mutter it to yourself. Meditating means to mutter to oneself. It's not some Eastern religion or cultic practice. They hijacked it from God. Meditation is in the Bible, and meditating means to, to meditate on God, to meditate on His Word, meditate on something that He has, um, has said. It's very important in this whole process of the renewing or the reconditioning of um, the mind. Now, I move this verse up because it's, to me, one of the most important verses in the Word of God concerning the Word of God. Um, I moved it up, and I started to talk about it earlier, but I knew we would eventually get to it, so... I skipped it, and here we are. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. Uh, this would be a really good one for you to commit to memory if you haven't memorized it already. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Think about what he's saying here now. This is a good verse. We mentioned a moment ago, uh, just a few seconds ago actually, meditating on the Word of God. This would be a really good verse for you to really meditate and, and really you know, hide in your heart and never let it be far from you. Um, first of all, we see that the Word of God is alive. Okay, <laughs> That's kind of a bizarre thought. you know. Um, but the Word of God is alive. It's living. It has life in it. It's living. And it's also powerful. There is power in the Word of God. And the power that's in the Word of God is released different ways, but one of the primary ways the power that's in the Word of God is released is when it's spoken out of your mouth. When it's spoken out of your mouth. When you don't know what to say about a situation, what's the first question we need to ask? What does the Word say? You'll never go wrong saying what God says about your situation. For the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, in their days, a two-edged sword, that would be a sword that cuts both ways. You know, uh, like a pocket knife, traditional folding pocket knife, it, it's flat or blunt on one side, and it only has one edge that's sharpened. A two-edged sword is sharpened on both sides, and of course, instrument of war, and it would cut going in and coming out, not to be gruesome. But that's, that's the power of a two-edged sword. Um, the other thing, and we see from the context that he's trying to give us some idea of the sharpness or the ability that the Word of God as a sword has as it relates to our own existence. And notice now, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Meaning what? 
The Word of God is the only way you and I will ever know that we are a spirit and have a soul and live in a body. Okay, The Word of God identifies that for us. But the Word of God is so precise that it and it alone is able to identify for you the difference between the part of you that's spirit and the part of you that's soul. It's so sharp, it can, it can make that, that cut. It can make that division. Now, when we get to spirit, soul, and body, what we'll see, of course, is, is that you know, we talk about these entities as we should from the Word of God so we can understand each one of them. But, you know, what happens in your spirit affects your soul. What happens in your soul affects your body. Anybody ever heard of something called psychosomatic illness? Suche is the Greek word for soul. Soma is the Greek word for body. Suche, soma, psychosoma, psychosomatic. And, and that's simply uh, physical illness in the body that is a result of some issue in the mind or the emotions. Okay? So the reason I bring that up briefly now is that the Word of God is able to distinguish the part of you that's spirit from the part of you that's soul, the part of you that's soul from the part of you that's spirit, and also is able, notice, um, division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. That's referring to the physical body, but joints and, and the marrow and the bone, that's, that's the very deepest part of the physical body. And we know from Scripture and now from modern science that life is in the blood. Blood carries oxygen to the, to the body. And blood cells originate where? Anybody remember? The marrow of the bone. So he's literally talking about the, the, the deepest part of us from where physical life itself actually springs forth. And the Word of God is able to penetrate to that level even of our physical existence and then is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. To discern means to, to understand, to recognize. So he's literally saying that the Word of God understands the difference between what you're thinking and what you intended. Okay? See, some of us, sometimes we don't even, you know, we don't understand these things about ourselves, and yet the Word of God certainly understands it. This is um, one of my favorite quotes uh, here about this. You may not understand the Bible, but the Bible understands you. That's good news. Some of you heard me say that many times before. You may not understand the Bible, but the Bible understands you. It's the only book you'll ever read that will read you back. It will read you back okay and so proverbs 4 says of this living and powerful book that is the word of god that those who find his words they find life it says their life proverbs 4 22 their life for those who find them and health to all their flesh okay y'all still hanging in here with me so let's talk a little bit more about it let's go to second timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. Now this is, I don't want to, we're going to kind of drill down into some of this. Um, I don't want you to, you know, bring yourself to attention if you need to. I know we've kind of, um, we got about 20 more minutes or so um, together. And so let's try to push on through some of this. Um, I've mentioned this before as you're turning to, uh, to this passage. I mentioned, I mentioned this before, but you know, these classes have a, not just a different content or subject matter or title, but they, some of them have a different flavor. And, and one of the things... Let's come back over here. There's a lot of things I'm trying to accomplish or the Holy Spirit's trying to accomplish tonight. Uh, and let me just be very plain about it, okay? To be effective as a minister of reconciliation, you need to become skillful in the word of reconciliation. But until you're 100% convinced that the word of God has the answers, is the answer, 
Um, are you following what I'm saying? So, you know, that's why we need to realize that the Word of God is not just an ancient book uh, with a bunch of verily, verilys and thou shalt not send it, okay? It is the living and powerful Word of God. And, and its words uh, have power within them to produce results in our lives that cannot be produced any other way. And so here we come to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it's been said this way. This didn't originate with me, but it, I think it's so true. If, if you don't have any problem with the first verse of the Bible, then you shouldn't have any problem with all the other verses in the Bible. Okay, I mean, if God created the heavens and the earth, then He can uh, hover over a teenage virgin named Mary and she conceive as a virgin, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, coming to this earth in the flesh. I know... That, that's kind of far out stuff, sounds like some science fiction or something that, of, that, of that nature. But if God created the heavens and the earth, then that's, you know, is there anything too hard um, for the Lord? Um, and so when we see that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, you know, this is back to that, that word we used earlier, infallible, meaning that this, this is not just a book of allegories or a book of suggestions, but that this, this is the living and powerful word from God to us, and it should be uh, uh, respected as such, it should be honored as such, it should, it should be um, uh, you know, treated that way. And one of the things, as Pam was talking a minute ago, that the Lord you know, revealed to me when I was very young, trying to find my way through all these things, you know, um, is that I would never love Him any more than I loved His Word. I would never give Him any more of a place of priority in my life than I gave His Word, because He is His Word. And, and so, you know, I'll never be any more committed to Him than I'm committed to His Word. Are you, are you, you see, that's when Pam says you can't separate Him from His Word. A lot of people try to do that. You know, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, man, me and God, we're, 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 we're tight, you know, and, and um, you know, it's... I heard a guy one time say, you know, me and God, we kind of got our own arrangement. No, you don't. You are so deceived if you think that, okay? And so, you know, to, to, really, um, to really accept and recognize and embrace the Word of God as, you know, all Scripture being inspired by God. The next thing we see here is that it's profitable, uh, and it's profitable for uh, several things. We'll, we'll come back to, to these maybe and give you a little more uh, explanation. But remember we said doctrine was systems of teaching. Um, reproof is to identify a problem. Correction is to fix the problem. And then notice it's instruction in righteousness. Remember what I told you that when you were born again, you were made righteous. Okay. Anybody ever been given something that you didn't know how to operate? You, you, you receive something or even maybe you purchase something and now it's time to do what? It's time to get the instructions out to figure out how to use this and how to make the most of this. How many of you have things in your life that will do much more for you than you know how uh, to, uh, you know, computers are like that for me. Technology is like that for me. If, if you watch me, 
operate technology, you'll think I'm a master genius until I get outside the very limited scope of what I do on a daily basis. You know, then I'm like, okay, well, what do we do now? You know, um, and and so there's so much more that uh, that that it can uh, you know do, but we need the instructions for that. Just because I don't know how to do it doesn't mean my computer won't do it. And just because I don't know how to walk out the righteousness that I've become doesn't mean I haven't become or been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And notice it says that the, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But before we dig into that any, any deeper, there's this very important word, inspiration. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, okay? And this literally means, or, or you know, simply means, all Scripture is God-breathed. And so I want to take a minute here to, to kind of give you some uh, breakdown of this word, okay? Uh, inspiration in the Greek is the word theonoustos, theonoustos, and of course theo being God, and new, uh, think pneuma, pneumatic, um, it speaks of a dynamic movement of air. Um, so, you know, if you've ever used an air tool, air nailer, air sander, uh, aired up your tire uh, with an air compressor, all these things are pneumatics, okay? And um, so when you take Theo and uh, Pneuma or Neustus and put them together, you get this idea of God breathed, God breathed, right? Now, another one of my favorite Bible teachers is a gentleman named Rick Renner. Okay, Rick Renner. Um, write, that, write that name down if you would. Rick, R-E-N-N-E-R. -E -E Matter of fact, let me put it up on the screen here. Um, Rick Renner. Okay. And, um, and Rick Renner. Uh, one day when we get to heaven, you're going to find out what a big deal Rick Renner uh, is and has been. Okay. Um, you know, what he has done in the former Soviet Union for the gospel is stuff of Book of Acts proportion. And I'm not exaggerating there. I'm just telling you, okay, it's a, uh, it's a phenomenal thing. And he is an amazing Bible teacher. He actually went to um, not a Bible college. He went to a secular university and learned the Greek language for the purpose of being able to teach and break down scriptures from uh, the original text in the Greek. And uh, like, for instance, you can have him send to your inbox um, what he calls a sparkling gem from the Greek. It's basically a daily devotional uh, where he'll take a verse or a, or a word from a verse uh, and from the original language and do a short devotional, break, break it down. You can then go to other, uh, you know, his resource. All that's free, okay. Um, but this, this is from... His uh, brilliance on this word inspiration, theonoustos, okay? And I'm, obviously you can follow along. I'm, I'm going to put it on the screen and just read from it uh, directly. But he says it more concisely and more thoroughly than I could in 45 minutes, all right? So I'll put it on the screen for those of you watching online. So from Rick Renner, the root P-N-E-U, pronounced new, communicates a dynamic movement of air. For example, it can mean to blow as to blow air. It was actually used to portray a musician who blew air through an instrument to produce a musical sound. There are also places where it is used to picture the emitting of a fragrance. 
Furthermore, this root word could be used to depict the projection of emotions. The word theonoustos is the picture of God breathing His own substance into something. Come on now. The picture of God breathing His own substance into something. Just as a musician would blow on an instrument to produce a distinct sound, God mightily moved on those, those who wrote the Scriptures, causing them to temporarily become instruments through whom He expressed His heart and will. They were the writers, but God was the great musician who breathed upon them His instruments. Thus the Bible is God's message delivered through human writers to us. And just as the word pneuma can carry the idea of a fragrance, the word was breathed from God and thus carries His very essence and fragrance within it. Since the word pneuma can also portray the projection of emotions, we know that God projected the totality of his emotions into the word when he inspired its writings. When he inspired its writing. Therefore, the word not only conveys an intellectual message, but it has God's heart in it as well. And the pneuma of God didn't uh, and the pneuma of God didn't create the scripture and then depart from it. Okay? This power, the same pneuma power that originally created and continues to sustain the universe, is still inside God's Word, upholding and empowering it to be just as strong as the day it was given. See, that makes me want to just like go run a lap or something. <laughs> Amen. So you, you read these verses, you know, all scriptures give them inspiration of God. Well, that means a whole lot more than just, you know, somebody got inspired one day to write a few words. I and mean, this is, this is um, God breathing his essence, his emotions, his very person um, into uh, the, uh, the Word of God. All right, now, thank you, Jesus. Let's see what we've got time for a little bit more. Can you take a little bit more? All right, so I think we've said this already, but the more we said we cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the Word of Reconciliation, and the more we know the Word of Reconciliation, the more effective we will be in the ministry of Reconciliation. Knowing the Bible or the Word of God is too vague for our discussion. The people who murdered Jesus knew the Bible. Um, so here is what I mean by knowing, okay? So 2 Timothy, this time, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. So you've got, you got uh, 3.16, the one we just, um, that's the one we just looked at, right? Um, and then, let's see, yeah, 2 Timothy 3.16, but then also speaking uh, to the Word of God and its importance is uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. So 3.16, now we're at 2.15, and it says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now this is from the King James Version. The New King James reads a slightly different, okay? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? Now, <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. I believe we've got time to push through this right quick, okay? Whatever, if I, if I go through it too quickly or don't feel like we covered it thoroughly enough, we'll start here uh, on next uh, class, okay? But <clears throat> when he says study to show yourself approved, he's talking about studying the Scriptures. In the same way that the the Word of God is instruction in righteousness. He didn't say read the Bible to be made righteous. He said read the Bible to learn how to live out the righteousness He's already made you. 
And he didn't say study the Bible to be approved by God, right? He said study to reveal to the world that you are already approved by God. Study to show yourself, shewing yourself, as it says in the King James there. Uh, showing yourself means to present yourself or, or, or for other people to recognize the uh, stamp of God's approval on your life. So study to reveal Show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, keep that verse in mind, and let's go to Hebrews 5, um, 12 through 14, okay? Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. Remember, we were at Hebrews 4. And 12, where he said, The word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two edged sword. Okay? So he's building on that thought, among others. Hebrews 5 and 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right? So notice that he's saying that these folks, or not all of them, but some of them, they have been uh, born again long enough to be teaching other people, to, to be, uh, you know, effectively used by God to minister to other people, but instead they still need somebody to teach them. The first principles are, the, are just the basics, the oracles of God. That, and he says, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. Remember we made those uh, parallels earlier. We'll bring them back up now. That a baby is completely dependent upon those who care for it, for him or her, completely dependent for everything. I mean, they, they, they got to have somebody fix them a bottle, put the bottle in their mouth, change their diaper, completely dependent. They, they need somebody else to do basically everything for them. As that child grows, they're able to do more and more for themselves. You know, um, my little, uh, my second grandson, Samuel David, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's picking them up and putting the bites in his mouth. And, and he, he loves to look at me and go, oh, when he does it, okay? Uh, precious. So he's, he's feeding himself. There'll come a day... When he can not only feed himself, but he'll be able to, you know, like my older grandson, Oliver, he'd go to the pantry uh, and, and grab him some applesauce or, what, or whatever it is. He can get the food and open it up and eat it, you know. Um, and then there'll come a day when both of them will be able to prepare a meal for somebody else. Are, are you seeing? And all of this corresponds with their growth and development. So Paul is saying you've been saved and in church long enough to be feeding other people, but you still need somebody to feed you. Okay? So this tells us something very important. This tells us something very important. Just because you've been saved a long time doesn't mean you're growing in the things of God. Just because you've been saved 15 years doesn't mean, you know, you're, you're becoming spiritually mature. Uh, because that kind of growth and development requires cooperation on our part. And if we don't cooperate with God in our growth and development, and remember what I've been telling you over and over again as it relates, again, to the ministry of reconciliation, every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, you can only grow and develop so far as a human being 
with other people serving you and you never serving or doing anything for anybody else. And it's even more true in the, in the body of Christ. If you never reach out to do something for God by serving other people, it's going to limit, uh, it's going to put a, a cap or a ceiling on how far you can grow in the things of God. So this, a key word here, though, in all of this, and that's the word unskilled. He says, for everyone who partakes only of milk, that's because they're immaturity, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, I don't want to rush through this because this is a very important point here that we all need to really come to grips with. And that is the difference between being knowledgeable where the Bible is concerned versus being skillful where the Bible is concerned. Knowledge is one thing, but skill is another. And as I've said already, I think I mentioned it before we got to this section, the people who stripped Jesus naked and tortured him and nailed him to a cross could quote the Old Testament. Some of them could quote the Old Testament backwards. They had Bible knowledge. And this is why a lot of people in the body of Christ today um, notice, what's the difference between knowledge and skill? Skill involves doing something. Remember, it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Coming to church isn't serving God. Coming to church is getting fed so you can be stronger and more effective in what you do in service for God. But in our day and age, serving God means coming to church you know, once or twice a month. No, 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 no. Serving God is actually doing something for God by doing something for somebody else. And this, this is how we grow and develop. So you can accumulate a whole bunch of knowledge without ever doing anything with that knowledge. As a matter of fact, as important as hearing the Word of God is, if you hear the Word of God and don't ever do anything with it, it can actually cause you to become desensitized to the voice of God. It can actually cause you to become calloused and hardened towards God. And, and remember, knowledge will puff you up. Knowledge can you know, become a point of pride in your life. Look at how much I know. I know so much more about the Bible than other people. But that's not what he was addressing here. He didn't say these people didn't have any Bible knowledge. He said they didn't have any Bible skill. So skill, then, is speaking of the ability to apply the Word of God in a practical way so that you can see a difference in your life or in the, help someone see a difference you know, in, the, in the life of, the, of someone that you're helping or serving or ministering to in some capacity. Are you still with me? Is this making sense to you? So we're not just talking about develop. Obviously, you've got to have the knowledge. You've got to know it but in, in able, you know, to enable yourself to be, to be able to. I'll get it out here in a minute. To be able to do something with it. I mean, you've got to know what the Bible says about giving and receiving before you ever you know, begin to do it by faith properly in, in alignment with an agreement with the Word of God, right? you got to know what the Bible says about praise and worship. You know, people say, well, you know, I just worship God in my own way. Who do you think you are? You know, I mean, the, God is very specific in His Word. What does the Word say about these things? Well, you know, I just don't think people ought to clap their hands in church. Well, what does the Word say about it? Are you with me? Okay. So I get keyed up about these things. So, Skill then is some, involves something that you do. So we, we have these folks who are in the church have been born again for a long time, but they still needed somebody to teach them the basics because they had never translated what they know into something that they do. And the difference is in the doing. 
Jesus gave us this whole elaborate parable about two men who heard these saying, heard Jesus teach. Uh, one man went and he heard and did what Jesus said. Another man heard it and did not do what Jesus said. And he said their lives were like uh, houses built, one on sand, one on the rock. And then, uh, you know, uh, storms of life, so to speak, come. And the man who heard and did was still standing when everything settled. But the one who heard and didn't do, everything collapsed, you know, just like something built on sand would collapse near the ocean in a storm, okay? So it's, it's the part that we do. Now, praise God. Let me try to stitch these two things together. Because what we see then, and this is, this is where we're going to land tonight. Extracting from these two verses, remember he says, Study to show yourself approved, workman of God that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Next week we'll get into what that really means. Um, but rightly dividing the word of truth means the skillful ability to take a sword to the Scriptures, to be able to separate um, and divide the Scriptures correctly and accurately. Okay? Not butcher it, not... Anyway, praise God, I'll get to that, what that means exactly. But we must learn to rightly divide the Word of God and then skillfully apply the Word of God. So let, let's go back to what led us to this, all right? The more we know the Word of Reconciliation, the more effective we will be in the ministry of reconciliation. I stand by that point, but several, several years ago, I don't know how many, I, I, I was just, I was teaching on these things and I realized, you know, it's not just knowing the Word of Reconciliation, it's being able to rightly divide the Word of God, the Word of Reconciliation, and then skillfully apply it. That's, that's what we, in other words, to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation, these are the things that we need to uh, grow in our ability uh, to perform. Okay, Rightly divide it and skillfully apply it. Rightly divide it and skillfully apply it. So let me, let me just, in, 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 I'm fixed to pray, but let me give you an example here of, of this. All right. Um, a pharmacist, especially a compounding pharmacist, you know, they have all of these uh, medications and substances on all them shelves behind them, right? And um, their ability, of course, doctors help them uh, with this as well, but their ability to, um, to take from all those shelves of medications, you do realize, like antibiotics, you know, they've saved so many people's lives, but... You know, not every antibiotic will work for every infection. It's, it's the ability to go into all those shelves of antibiotics and know this is the one for this problem. Notice what they're doing. They're rightly dividing from all that are there. They're pulling out the one bottle that will treat this specific infection. So do you, that's kind of a, maybe a, a goofy uh, best example, but I'm trying to show you what I'm talking about here. See, the more we know what the Word says about anger, the more we know what the Word says about sex, the more we know what the Word says about raising children, the more we know what the Word says about our identity in Christ, then this puts us in a position then to, um, to rightly divide and help, first of all, rightly divide it and skillfully apply it in our own lives, but as it, as it you know, coincides with our ministering to other people, our ability to, to take them to those scriptures and help bring them into alignment with and agreement with 
what God has said about these things. Do you know how many people are, are confused about, you know, just the subject, the doctrine of, of righteousness by faith in the scriptures? I mean, it's, it's sad to me um, that I'm talking about pastors now who don't know how to rightly divide and skillfully apply what the Bible has to say about that. And the mistake that a lot of, of people make, and we'll address this in great detail next week, is that instead of trying to divide it, they try to balance it. They try, you know, they, they try to equal it out. Well, if we're going to talk a little bit about this, then we've got to talk about a little about this. And, and, and they, they, don't, they aren't bold enough to separate um, the part that's Old Testament from the part that's new and so forth and so on. But we'll get into that in greater detail uh, in the days ahead. Are you getting anything out of this? It's been a little different class tonight. I, I understand that. And I, so I, I was trying to prepare you for it when I was talking about different reasons why different classes are my favorite. But my prayer is that you fall in love with the Word of God um, deeper than you have ever fallen in love with it, that you commit yourself to it uh, more than you've ever committed yourself to it. Um, don't, don't let a day go by uh, without spending some time in the Word of God. If it's just a chapter or whatever it is, okay? Um, now some of you are already spending more time than that. But remember now, it's not just, it's not just how many chapters you read, okay? But what is God saying to you uh, from that particular passage. That's one of the questions that you want to consistently ask. Lord, I understand how this may have related to these people back in their day, but what are you trying to say to me about this situation? Okay? All right. Father, thank you for this time together. I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you, Lord, for your word. It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, um, your word is the difference maker in our lives. It sets us apart from this world unto you. It sets us apart from, from failure and loss to success and victory. It sets us apart from, from, from poverty and lack to abundance and wealth. Lord, just on and on and on, Lord. And I thank you that you're helping us recognize the importance and power of your word uh, in our lives, but also, Lord, uh, as we use it to minister to other people in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you again for being here uh, this evening. Good things coming. You're loved if nobody's told you that today. I'll see some of you in a few minutes in the sanctuary. The rest of you, I guess, either Sunday or uh, first of next week.